So we've been talking about money the last few weeks for the first time in uh, four years that we've officially been a church. Of course, some of us were meeting together even before that for almost a year. Uh, so this, is, this has been the first time that we've been through this. And I've got to be honest with you. Uh, oh, the sound of my voice is changing. Uh, I've got to be honest with you. As a pastor, like, this has been a challenging one for me to prepare for because it turns out people take their money really personally. Who knew? Uh, so I just want to just back up really quick. The first week we talked about really the most important thing. The very first step to honoring God with your finances, to uh, living uh, inside of God's blessing financially, the most important thing is to view God as your provider. Because if you don't do that, nothing else matters. Everything else after that is just religious, it's just a checkbox. If you don't view God as your provider, then everything else becomes a moot point. Uh, It's kind of like C.S. Lewis said, he said, uh, Christianity, the most important reason to be a Christian is because it's true. Because if it's not true, then it's just irrelevant. It's not good or bad. It's just completely immaterial. So if you don't view Jesus, if you don't view God as your provider, then nothing after that matters. So that was step one. The second thing that we talked about last week, we talked about some of the financial fences, hence the fence on stage, that God has established for us, for our own protection, for our own blessing. And uh, one of the things that he wants us to do is live within our own means, Uh, not within someone else's means, but within your means. And we talked about how God has made provision, no matter what, uh, where you're at on the socioeconomic ladder, God has provided for you, and it will be enough. And so he's called us to live inside of that. The second thing that we talked about last week was honoring the season of life that we're in and the cycle that God has for us. Uh, if, you're, you know, if you're 19, you probably shouldn't be just you know, borrowing to the maximum extent of your means to have everything that people who are twice your age have because you're in the planting phase. Uh, so I'd encourage you, grab both of those uh, online because they really will establish a lot of the context for what we're going to talk about today. Uh, because today what we're going to talk about has more to do with returning to God what belongs to him. And we'll talk about the principle of the tithe and what that's all about. In short, what that really is, is a principle that existed from very early on in the scripture, as we'll see, of returning, the word tithe means a tenth, uh, the first tenth of what God has provided us back to him. Now, um, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, so that leaves me with 90%, and I know that because I'm smart that 100% is better than 90%, um, so, so what's the deal there? Well, the question that we asked last week was, is 100% outside the fences of God's blessing really more than 90% inside the fences of God's blessing? And, and only you can, uh, can really answer that for yourself. But I want to kick this off by just, uh, just reading a scripture to you. Jesus is having a conversation in Matthew 6, uh, known as the Sermon of the Mount, uh, Sermon on the Mount, and uh, he's talking about money. And he says this phrase in Matthew 6, verse 21. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, it's kind of interesting because I usually think of that the other way around. Like, wherever my heart is, my treasure is going to go that direction. But Jesus says, no, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. It's kind of backwards to me, but then I started thinking about it. Uh, By the way, uh, did anybody happen to see what Micron Technologies stock did last week? Did anybody anybody happen to know where they... Finished? Uh, yeah, I don't know either. Uh, actually, I don't care. But you know what would make me care? If I had some treasure there, if I was invested in it. Because your heart is going to follow your treasure. It turns out it actually works. So what if, hypothetically, 
I put my treasure into the kingdom of God. That, that would change some things in my life, right? That would, that would change a lot of things. What if I made God's purpose for my life my highest priority? Uh, that would probably change some of where I put uh, what I do with my treasure, but it definitely would change my heart. That would change a lot of things if I put my treasure into God's kingdom. Now, I have to say before we get too deep into this conversation, I am more aware right in this moment than I've ever been in my life that some people feel maybe, um, how would I say, a little bit cynical when Christians start to talk about money. Uh, You know, especially pastors or the church, uh, sort of this nebulous idea of the church. Uh, Some people tend to get a a little bit cynical, and I get that because we take our money personally. It's mine. I worked for it. We're all building towards various things. Totally makes sense. So before we go too deep, I just, want to, I just want to read you this quote from a guy named John Maxwell. He didn't come up with the idea. He just said it well. He said, we see things as we are, not as they are. Meaning, I don't really see what's happening in that situation. I see what's happening in that situation from my perspective. Uh, and that's true, actually. The research indicates that people are actually really bad Uh, not good at all at formulating accurate judgments or assessments about situations and other people. Uh, We're not good at doing that accurately. What we are good at is knowing how that person or that situation makes me feel. Uh, But we're, we're actually not good at assessing because we lack objectivity. You have a perspective. I have a perspective. We all kind of come from that direction. So here's two things that I'm gonna do to help you avoid the cynical bug the first one is, I'm going to throw a ton of scriptures at you. Some of, them, some, of them, some of them will read. Some of them I'll just give you the reference so that you're able to, uh, to read that a little bit later. But I just want to make sure that you know um, I'm really avoiding giving my opinion, and I'm really just trying to stick to what God has said clearly. Uh, so uh, if you feel cynical, be cynical toward him, not me. Uh, the second thing I've, uh, I've decided to do is I've called this conversation number one. As you may have gathered already, Uh, I'm calling it number one. And just to help you avoid the cynical bug, I brought balloons because everybody likes balloons. You see balloons and you think something good's happening, right? Birthday party, anniversary party, used car sale. Something good's happening when you see balloons. So so just to put you over the top, uh, I brought uh, brought the balloons. But here's the bottom line. My heart in the conversation about money is that every single person who's a part of Center Church would be able to live in God's financial blessing and would be able to escape the tyranny that money and possessions can have over us. Uh, They can can really easily, whether you have a lot of money or a little money, doesn't matter. Wherever you're at, money can really get a hold of a person. And uh, I want to see all of us live free from that. So that's that's really my heart. I'd encourage you to grab the last couple weeks uh, online. And uh, this week... I want to talk about the importance of allowing God to be number one. Uh, so I'm going to need a volunteer, and uh, I know you're all really excited to do it, but I've already asked Riley to come up here and be my volunteer, so, uh, so you can keep your hands down. Uh, Riley, come on up, my man. All right, I want, to, I want to read a scripture to you, and then I'm going to ask you a couple questions about it, okay? Uh, it's in Exodus chapter 20, and it's a really short one. This is what it says. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay, God's, God's talking. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't, I don't want you to have anything else more important than me. I want to be at the top of the pyramid, okay? So based on that one scripture, 
Oh, we need to, we need to get you a microphone, my man. In the spotlight. Okay, green light's on. So based on that, God says, nothing else before me. Who's number one? God. Oh, I knew I picked the right person. You nailed it. Yes. Okay, so I'll ask you another one. Uh, this actually falls uh, on a list of commandments, this particular man- commandment. Uh, there's 10 of them. We know them as the 10 commandments. Yeah, good. You nailed it. So this command right here where God says, I want to be number one, which one of the commands do you think that is? Like one, two, three, four, five. Which one do you think it is? Mm. There's 10 of them. The third one? You know what? That's a good guess. You're only two off. It's number one. Riley, I just want to thank you for helping me out, my man. You've done, you done an excellent job. All right. We'll keep that close because we might need Riley to come back again in just, uh, in just a little while. Great job, Riley. So here's the deal, deal. The conversation about money really isn't about money. The conversation about money really is about who's number one. Who gets to be number one in my life? Who gets to occupy the top seat number one in my affections? God wants that seat. He's made it clear throughout Scripture that he wants that seat. Now, that would be really obnoxious if God was like a celebrity, um, but turns out he's God. So think about it this way. If God's not number one, then whatever is number one is actually God. Does that make sense? God is our highest ideal, and he wants to be number one in our lives. So there's this pastor. Some of you may have heard, uh, heard of him. He's written a few big books, uh, fairly well known. His name's Robert Morris, and he... Uh, he developed this principle that he called the principle of the first, or the principle of first. And basically what he does is he examines all the ways that God works through first things in our lives. And, uh, and he begins with the significance of the firstborn. Now, if you know about Old Testament, if you've read through Old Testament history, you know that uh, the firstborn gets a good position, because when dad dies, they get everything, including as my firstborn and secondborn are here, including the firstborn gets charge over the secondborn. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad we weren't alive back then? The firstborn gets everything. Being the firstborn is a good deal. So we're going to be at Exodus 13. We'll, we'll actually pick it up right here, and then we'll end there at the very end as well if you're looking for a place to, to land. Exodus 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate or dedicate might be a, a word that we would use more often. Dedicate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether it's human or animal. So let me ask you this question. God says, I want you to dedicate the, every firstborn. The firstborn belongs to me. So let me ask you this question. Why should they dedicate their firstborn to God? Is it maybe like an act of worship uh, or are they expressing gratitude? You might remember just shortly before this, God had actually brought them out of slavery in Egypt, so, so what's a good reason for them to dedicate their firstborn to God? Well, I think he gives a good answer right here. It belongs to him. That's a good reason. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, God says. In other words, they aren't actually giving it to him. They're actually returning it to him, right? I mean, it's, it's his already. It belongs to him. So he goes on to kind of expand on that, and if you go down to verse 12... God says, he's giving instructions on how they're to do this. He says, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Okay, I think we're all on board with this so far. Firstborn belongs to God. We give it back to God. 
The next verse gets a little Old Testament on us. Verse 13 says, Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. Okay, riveting stuff. I know, you're all like compelled to, I don't know, I don't know what you're compelled to do from that. That's pretty far away from where we, from where we live. But God says, redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. And if you don't, if you don't want to do that, then break its neck. Every firstborn needs to be redeemed. I just want to make a few observations. I'll probably shed a little bit of light on that subject for you. The first one is that God has commanded them to return the first in the currency of their day. Pastor Rick mentioned earlier that they were an agrarian society. Uh, They didn't have cash. They didn't have debit cards. Uh, Your plants and your crops, that was their currency. Uh, That was how they operated. So in the currency of their day, God tells them, return the first to me. Now, is it like a goodwill offering? Uh, Is it even optional? He He doesn't even really position it as optional because it belongs to him. Return the first to me, he says. Second observation, uh, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you might already know this, that the lamb would be considered a clean animal and the donkey would be considered an unclean animal. That's how they would have categorized them. So God says, when you have a donkey, you have two choices. You can sacrifice a lamb to redeem this unclean animal or you can break its neck. Those are kind of strange options to us. Uh, but there's kind of a principle here at work that, uh, that I don't love, uh, but, it's, but it's there. I mean, there's no denying it. God says essentially, you know what? Return what belongs to me, redeem it, or lose it anyway. That feels good, right? That's why we brought balloons right there. That's, <laughs> nonetheless, that's what, that's what God says. He's saying, my expectation is that this is how you're going to handle that situation. You don't, you don't get to just keep it for yourself. Third observation, the third one, a little bit harder to see, uh, but, but awesome. More exciting than any of those. Uh, so let me ask you a question. And this one is not rhetorical. You can actually answer this. Uh, were you and I born spiritually clean or spiritually unclean, according to Scripture? Unclean, right? If you're familiar with the, you know, the, the doctrinal theological backdrop on that, the Bible says we're born with an, a, a, a sinful nature, it's, it's passed on throughout humanity, actually, uh, along the lines of the father. Uh, now, if you're trying to like, apply biology and genealogy to that, that's not going to work because it's a spiritual principle, not a biological principle, so don't like, get weird about how that happens. But the sinful nature is passed on throughout humanity uh, through the line of the father. So ladies, way to go. It's not your fault. That's why all the laws in our country protect us from men, not women. Uh, <laughs> That probably is true, actually. Uh, so, so you and I were born spiritually unclean. Uh, now, another question. Was Jesus born spiritually clean or spiritually unclean? Jesus was born clean, right? That's the point of the immaculate conception, the virgin birth. Jesus was born spiritually clean. You and I were born spiritually unclean. Now, watch this. Colossians 1.5 is one of several places uh, that makes this reference in Scripture. 115, it says, uh, Jesus is the, invis- the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Okay, so Jesus is born clean. He's the firstborn over all creation. You and I are born unclean. Now, see if you can fill in this blank for me. We're, we're piecing this all together. 
John the Baptist, JTB as I call him, the original Christian hipster because he wore camel's fur and he ate weird food. Uh, he sees Jesus walking by at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry and he says to the people who are with him, he points to Jesus and says, behold the blank of God. Anybody know it? The lamb. So Jesus is born spiritually clean. He's the firstborn. He's referred to as the Lamb of God. So let me ask you a very important question. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. How were you and I redeemed? By the sacrifice of the clean firstborn lamb. Isn't it interesting how uh, the Old Testament, actually the New Testament, is completely concealed within it? But then once you put the two together, you're like, oh, that makes complete sense. That's why Jesus is the Lamb of God. You and I are reconciled, redeemed before God by the sacrifice of this firstborn lamb. So I guess you could say that God's not asking us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. Not that he is bound to that, not that we could hold him accountable to that, but he did it anyway. In fact, it's such a high priority to God, it matters so much to him that he actually adheres to the same standard himself. The clean had to be sacrificed in order for the unclean to be redeemed. Jesus was God's sacrifice of the first. He returned the first. Pretty awesome stuff. God didn't wait for somebody else. He gave the first. So a while ago, I went out of town, and um, I was going to be gone for like six days, actually, at this conference thing I was going to, and Pastor Rick's truck happened to be in the shop when this happened, and uh, so he said, would you mind if I borrow your car while you're out of town, and uh, my truck's in the shop, and you know, of course, like we're close, not a problem at all, glad to do that. And uh, so he borrowed my car, and I was like, hey, can you just drop me off, pick me up at the airport, no problem. So when I got home, Pastor Rick had uh, parked in the parking garage and come into the terminal, and he came walking up to me with the keys uh, to my car, and he said, hey, uh, while you were gone, and I was like, oh, no, <laughs> what's going what's gonna to happen next? He said, uh, you know, Thea and I had just been talking, and we just spent a lot of time praying, and uh, we, just, we just really felt like God was telling us to to give you this car. And of course I laughed because I thought he was joking. He's like, no, no, really, we, we want to give this to you. And uh, I was like, um, you know, it's my car, right? And he's like, well, yeah, we're giving it to you. It's your car. <laughs> we're, we're giving it to you. And I was like, no, you don't understand. Like, you, you can't give it to me. It's mine. You can return it to me. But you can't give it to me. That's the difference between tithing and giving. If it belongs to God already, can I, really, can I really have a mindset of giving it to God? That's the difference between giving and tithing. So uh, this biblical principle of tithing that we're going to just dive into for a couple minutes is really the process of returning the first tenth, the first and best, if you will, just like God did, returning the first of all that we take in back to God. And I'm just going to throw you a couple scriptures uh, if you want to look into that. Uh, Genesis chapter 14, Leviticus 27, I think they're on the screen up there, Deuteronomy 14, uh, 2 Chronicles 31, just to name a few are places where you can kind of read about the tithe actually taking place, if that's uh, something you'd like to dive into. But here's the point that I'm making with the silly story. If it was a gift, I would be well within my rights to withhold it, right? You can give me a gift or not give me a gift, it's completely up to you. Either way, I have no reason to be upset with you for not giving me a gift, that's up to you. But, but if it belongs to me, 
then you're outside of your rights to withhold it. Does that make sense? I got to be honest with you, I don't like that part. I really wish that God had just like couched this all as like one of many options. Uh, But really what I'm hoping for is for you to just take what God said and then just listen to what he's saying to you. Um, This is one of the very few times on a Sunday morning when I'm actually not trying to elicit a response other than just take what God says and let him work in your heart. That's, that's That's all I'm looking for. So the Bible teaches us something uh, in Malachi chapter 3. This part is not fun, so you might not want to read this. I wish we could just tear it out of the Bible, but it's there, and it's got to stay there. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12, seven verses, and it actually makes this equation. It says that when we withhold from God, when we don't return the tithe to him, it equates that to actually stealing from God. And I think my most immediate objection to that might be, yeah, but that's Old Testament. Like, Jesus, Jesus fulfilled the law for me. But you know what the first verse in that section says? The first sentence says, I, the Lord, do not change. Like, Jesus responds to my objection before I even get there because he's God. He's really smart. Uh, it's a lengthy passage, and uh, so you can read that if you want. Um, but God's serious about it is what it comes down to. In fact, in Exodus 23, he gives us instruction on what to do with our tithe. 23:19, God says, "Bring the first, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God." That's his instruction on on how to tithe. And uh, basically he says, "Take the first fruit to what we now know as the church post post Christ." And uh, I think that raises an interesting question that I want to respond to, the question of well, well, why the church? I mean, why couldn't it go to, you know, dig wells in Africa or feed the homeless or support a Christian school? Like, those are, those are worthy causes. And, and I have a couple of responses, probably two things that I would just throw out as a kind of a response to that. The first one is basically because apparently that's the way God wants it. Um, and it's not really a uh, because I said so thing. It's because it belongs to him. Right? If it was mine, then I'd get to decide where it gets to go. But because it belongs to him, he gets to designate it. Does that, that make sense? that fair? The second thing uh, that's probably even, I don't know if it's more of a big deal, but it sort of resonates in my heart a little bit better, is that the church is really the one and only agency that's sole purpose is to declare the glory of God, to love his people, uh, to really point toward him as the solution to all that ails us. It's really his chosen mechanism to accomplish his work here on the earth, to accomplish his purposes. So the principle of returning our first to God in that way is really all, all throughout Scripture in so many ways. A couple of well-known ones that you might not have really thought of this context, um, one of them would be uh, when God's people come to Jericho. Now, you might remember they were in slavery uh, God led them out of slavery in Egypt, and he's taking them to this promised land. Now, the, unfortunately, the promised land wasn't vacated. Uh, there were many other people groups there, and a lot of them were actually really hostile towards God and his people, uh, including Jericho. And uh, so they come to Jericho, and they're actually on a conquest. Uh, they, they're an enemy, and they're actually going to try and overtake this, this city. And God gives them some instructions. He says, listen, I'm going to give you the victory But this first city that we come to in the promised land, this is the first one. I want you to take all of the spoils from this city and return it to me, the first and the best. And of course, if you've read the story, uh, it's in Joshua's chapter 6 and 7, 
you, uh, you probably know that they didn't do that. Uh, you may be familiar with the phrase, Aiken's sin. So if you've got to go down in history as something, uh, how about that, right? Aiken, Aiken withheld some of the spoil. And what ended up happening? Their very next opponent, which was probably a weaker opponent than Jericho, AI, guess what? They were defeated by their very next opponent because God gave them an instruction and they withheld it. One that you're probably more familiar with is Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4. It's really, really early on. Uh, have you ever wondered why God took Abel's sacrifice, but he rejected Cain's sacrifice? Genesis 4, 3 through 5, this is what it says. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So God accepts Abel's, but not Cain's. But here's what happens, and you'll see it in the verbiage there. Cain brought whatever he wanted whenever he felt like it. In the course of time, he brought some of the fruit, but Abel brought his first and his best. That's giving versus tithing. That's, that's the difference between the two. See, God may not have been number one in Cain's life, but it's not because he wasn't number one. He was number one. God was number one. He knew it. Abel knew it. But Cain was the brother who hadn't figured it out yet. Cain was, unfortunately, just not aware of what was actually happening. Okay, so let's take just some of that knowledge, and let's take some of our conviction in our hearts and and just put it together in, uh, in a reality, okay, into a, an application. Uh, Riley, you've been helping me out, uh, so I'm going to ask you to come back up here just for a second. And um, I would like to compensate you for, for your help this morning. Would that be okay? Sure. Uh, you're, you're willing to receive payment? Sure. There you go, brother. Uh, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna pay you $10 for, for helping me out. Um, I had to steal this out of my kid's piggy bank. Uh, so it's all going to be in ones, uh, but I have, I have $10, $10 for you right there, okay? But I just want to ask you a couple questions about it, okay? okay. $10 $1 bills, $10 right here. Uh, how much of this $10 do you think God is anticipating that you will return to him? Uh, just the $1 bill. $1. $1. Yeah, the, the tithe, one-tenth. Yeah, good call. Uh, so let me ask you another question. $10 right there. Which one is the tithe? The one on top right there? Yeah, well, that's, that makes sense. Uh, good memory, by the way, just thinking about, you know, Cain and Abel. Like, if you've got to be one of those two, uh, right, you chose the right one. So let's just say uh, this week, I know you got some expenses coming up, right? you got to pay your rent on Tuesday, $5, two, three, four, five. Uh, I know your landlord. He's kind of a hard case, so we got to make sure, we gotta make sure that that uh, goes through in time. And uh, you also have a bike payment on, uh, on Wednesday. That's going to cost you a couple dollars. And uh, so I know that you, you, know, you also have to pay the electric bill because Avista, you know, they're not going to give you a break. So, uh, so $9 of it is pretty much spent already, right? Does that feel like anybody else's paycheck? Like it's pretty much gone before you get it. But good news, boom, still got a dollar left over for God. So next Sunday, like you're good to go, right? What would happen if on Friday, after you've paid these other bills, uh, Something came up, like, you know, you got a flat tire, or someone invited you to a movie, and you had to, you had to spend this $1, and there wasn't enough left over for God. What, what do you think would happen? Like, burst into flames, or? No. No? But, um, hmm. 
wouldn't be rewarded for not giving what's already his. Yeah, that could be. That's a good, that's a good answer. That's pretty thoughtful. Well, here's a question for you. If this $1, let's say you made it all the way to next Sunday and you had this $1 left over, um, you, think, you think God wants the leftover? Is he looking for the leftover? He's looking for it first. Yeah. So, so maybe this one that went to your landlord was actually the tithe. You think? Yeah. Yeah, you're a good man, Riley. You're, you're, doing, you're doing awesome. See, here's the thing in Cain and Abel's story. Cain, Cain still brought his gift, um, but I think God was more concerned about the fact that he wasn't number one. I think he was more concerned about Cain's heart. You think? Mm-hmm. Riley, you've done an awesome job, my man. Thanks. Don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> uh, I, I appreciate that. So, so I just want to be transparent with you, okay? This is what Brandy and I do in our, uh, in our household. Uh, our tithe is one of the few things in life that we still write a check for. Some of you are like, check. I don't, I don't get it. So we'll slip a paper that had like your banking info. You can mail it places. Okay. So we still, we still write a check for it. And this is, this is what we do. This is not like, I'm not saying you have to do this. It just works for us. Uh, Brandy writes the checks because she's the administrator in our family. She writes the check before we ever get paid. Uh, sometimes like weeks and weeks ahead of time. Uh, before we ever get paid, and then she just, she just hangs on to it. And then on payday, she sends it out or drops it in the box or whatever needs to happen that week. Uh, but when we, get, when we actually get the money, then she sends it out. But the benefit of doing it that way is that it's already out of our, it's already come off the ledger. It's already out of our bank account as far as we know before it ever gets there. So that's been a really reliable system. But one day, uh, it happened to be a payday. I was headed to work, and my car was really low on gas. And so at like 6.30 in the morning, I stopped and filled it up. And uh, then when I got home, I gave Brandy the receipt, and she looked at the receipt, and she was like, now we're probably going to be cursed because you got gas before I sent the check out. (laughs) We're probably going to get terrible gas mileage this month. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. She didn't say that. Uh, Because it's not about legalism, right? Riley and I did that little exercise, but... But it's not about that. If we know anything about God from observing the life of Jesus, it's that God, God's not a legalist. He's about your heart, that he loves you deeply. He has an unbelievable, unimaginable amount of grace for you. It's not about the legalism. The reason we do things the way that we do is that we want to make sure in our household that our, our commitment to God supersedes every other commitment. We don't, we don't do that early check thing with our other expenses, we want to make sure that, that our commitment to God supersedes all others. This commitment is our number one commitment. So to the person who says, you know, the tithe, that's, that's just legalism. That's, that's Old Testament. Jesus handled that. Uh, that's either a valid question or an excuse in one direction or the other. I would just say a couple of things. One is that the tithe exists before the law. We see it in the case of Cain and Abel and several other times subsequently. And the tithe also exists after the law. Jesus is having this conversation in, uh, in Matthew 23 with, uh, with a group of just rigid religious people. And he says, you know, you guys, you guys observe the tithe on even the smallest thing. He says, you even tithe on your spices. You tithe on their spices. You tithe on everything. But then he says, but you neglect the more important things like mercy, like justice, like faith. And what he says after that is really important. He says, you ought to do both. You ought to do the former without neglecting the latter. See, the principle still exists in the New Testament as well. 
1 Corinthians 16, 2, Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, a percentage, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. See, this principle of the tithe supersedes, supersedes the law. Now, some of you are really good with like rules and checklists, and that, that kind of works for us. My wife is a checklist person, so, so uh, you know, since she writes the checks, that works great for us. But some of us need to know why. And I just want to close by reading back from Exodus 13, the why. Because God gives, God gives what I think is a really compelling why. You, you might remember that they were slaves in Egypt, and their oppression was so bad that all of the people cried out to God at once for mercy. And God stepped in with an absolutely miraculous mighty hand and delivered them from the Egyptians. That happens all prior to Exodus 13. And this is what it says in verse 14 of chapter 13. It says, God says, in the days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? What does the tithe mean? This giving of the firstborn. Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand or a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. If not for the mighty hand of God, if not for his unrelenting mercy and compassion toward me, I would stand here today condemned for eternity. If not for the fact that God gave his first and best to redeem me, I would be separated from him forever. And if not for the fact that God has seen fit in his kindness to provide for me all along the way, I would spend my lifetime toiling away to try to find peace in frivolous ways, as so many people do. Therefore, because of the things God has done in my life, as for me, I joyfully return a portion of what God has generously provided. And God says to Moses, tell them that's the reason, because of what I've done for you. And I think that's a pretty compelling reason. So I just want to pray with you, and I just want to ask you, um, just allow God to work in your heart, because what I know is God's an awesome, generous provider but he wants to be number one. God, thank you for um, clarifying your expectations um, so that we can look at your word, see who you are, and then dissect what that means for us in our lives. God, I pray that for every person in this room, God, you just give us a soft heart to see a good father who's teaching us, um, not, uh, not a religious, uh, mean, angry God, but to see your kindness coming through, Lord. I pray you teach us how to trust you. God, I pray that you would help us to see your blessing and your faithfulness all along the way as we move toward you. God, I pray that you would work incredible things in our lives. So, Lord, I'm just asking you right now through this word, through your scripture, God, that you would speak to each one of us, what shall we do? What is our next move, Lord? Because we wanna honor you, Lord, and we're so grateful for your kindness, God. In Jesus' name. Amen.